This is Interviews, a podcast from the National Academy of Sciences that provides first-person accounts of the lives and work of Academy members. In this series of one-on-one conversations, scientists talk about what inspired them to pursue the careers they chose and describe some of the most fascinating aspects of their research. Sociologist Yuxia learned early that society can profoundly shape a person's life. Growing up during China's Cultural Revolution, he experienced his father's political imprisonment and his family's subsequent exile to a rural village. Their struggles left him with a deep-seated skepticism that would later fuel his scientific research. After abandoning his engineering studies and finding his way to the University of Wisconsin, she had turned his skepticism and curiosity to the study of people and the social structures that affect them. He developed new methods for analyzing social data and challenged accepted ideas about gender, race, class, and innate ability. Shia is the Otis Dugley Duncan Distinguished University Professor of Sociology at the University of Michigan. He was elected to the National Academy of Sciences in 2009. My name is Yu Shia. I work at the University of Michigan, where I'm a professor of sociology, statistics, and public policy. I'm also a research professor of population studies and survey research. I was elected to the National Academy in 2009. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in China. I was born in a city called Zhenjiang, between Shanghai and Nanjing. The city was medium size. It was an old city. And my, my parents were sent there as doctors, so they didn't choose to live there. They were very busy with their work. They just had a lot of work to do. And uh, I grew up during a period called the Cultural Revolution. So uh, it didn't matter much. My parents were busy with their work because we didn't have to study very hard. In fact, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to study. My parents were in a little bit trouble, political trouble. So our family had uh, trouble with neighbors. So in in 1970, my parents, the whole family, uh, was sent to countryside in a political movement that was called the Sandang Movement. So I started to live in countryside uh, at the age of 10 until age 18. It was a big transition. Uh, one thing I remember clearly is that uh, we did not have much uh, consumption goods, everything from rice to meat to um, uh, sugar to bicycles was rationed. So we didn't have uh, access to materials. Electricity was uh, cut off frequently. There was no running water. There was no indoor toilet. And worst of all, our education system was pretty bad. I remember my teachers in elementary school only had elementary school education. So um, we just, they couldn't, they were very, very nice to me. They did all they could to help me, guide me at that time. But in retrospect, I did not have the best education. How did you first become interested in science? I was uh, always fascinated by science. I was also fascinated by the intersection between science and society. 
So uh, in 1976, when Cultural Revolution ended, universities began to accept students. And I was fortunate to take an entrance exam and was admitted to a university that was later part of Shanghai University. I, I was uh, a student of engineering. And at that time, almost everybody studied engineering because we were told that China was a great country. It had everything, it had everything smart, hardworking people, a great culture, uh, a great history, and a great uh, political system, and, and a lot of natural resources. The only thing China needed uh, for its development uh, was technology and science. So everybody in my generation after the Cultural Revolution uh, was interested in science. So I was uh, uh, in engineering program. Mm -hmm. And after two years, um, I discovered that was not, not all entirely true. China lacked not only technology, but also uh, understanding of uh, how, how, how it should function, uh, how it should function as a society. So I, I, I became interested in uh, large issues beyond the science. You mentioned that your parents were in political trouble. What happened there? Did you know anything, or did they tell you anything about it? Uh, I didn't really understand much at that time. My father was an outspoken person. Um, he had some argument with uh, um, political leaders in the hospital. So he complained about it, he was threatened. And uh, when, one thing that affected us, uh, the whole family, was that he was put in prison for a whole year without any judgment, any legal uh, resolution as to what, what was the reason for his imprisonment. So, so we lived with, without him for a whole year. And of course, the rest of the family was affected by his, uh, his imprisonment. And that had to have affected you too. Um, do you think that it in any way led to your later interest in these bigger issues? Yes, I think uh, I, at a very young age, I was uh, skeptical of everything. I uh, just uh, didn't believe in a lot of things that we were told. Uh, so I began to question uh, what was around me, uh, from Marxist ideology to traditional values of Chinese culture. I was fascinated by uh, social science, uh, science uh, as a field of study, how we could study social phenomena uh, with rigorous methods. So I first devoted uh, my uh, study to, to quantitative methods or sociological methods, demographic methods. Then after that, I studied American society. I studied, for example, uh, Asian Americans, uh, women in science in America, uh, various uh, other issues concerned with uh, um, uh, American uh, social stratification system and, and family system and so on. We are all different from each other. That's when my take of social science is that human beings are all different. We are, not only we are all different from each other, we are also surrounded by different environments, relationships, and social structures. 
So I was interested in how we individuals are affected by others around them in a relationship and in a social structure, in a uh, broader structure. As I said earlier, our experience in China was shaped by, by what was going on in China during Cultural Revolution. So individuals really didn't have much freedom. And, and all we, what we did was highly constrained by what was going on at the time. And uh, conversely, Americans are constrained by American society at large. So we are not free individuals, but we are situated in the social structure. So we, always, we are always interested in how individuals are conditioned by social structure, affected by social structure. How did you end up at the University of Wisconsin? Um, it's kind of funny, and uh, it was a purely accident. I didn't choose uh, University of Wisconsin. A pure uh, administrative procedure or event that made, made the choice for me. Uh, I I remember applied to several universities in history of science program. University of Wisconsin Madison had a very efficient office dealing with applicants from China at the time. So they were the first to send uh, visa forms to my university where I was uh, uh, being hosted. And uh, they, the university uh, with which I had affiliation, uh, submitted my, uh, my visa form for processing without even letting me know that was uh, your school I wanted to go. So they made the choice for me without my consent. And did it turn out to be a fortunate It choice? turned out to be very fortunate for me. I really think I was really lucky and uh, being um, at uh, University of Wisconsin. It was a great university. Uh, the sociology department was great. I Most fortunately, I had great teachers. I was all, all of a sudden was fascinated by academia in America. Uh, professors were, were true scholars. They were devoted to scholarship. They are very knowledgeable. They care about students. And the pure devotion to scholarship was not something I was exposed to before, and I was, I was instantly impressed, and uh, was uh, really fascinated by the lifestyle of being a scholar. So that had a huge impact on me. What did your family think when you made this shift from engineering and decided to come to America? Very good question. When I made that decision, almost nobody supported me. As I said, I was skeptical of authorities around me. So even against all opposition, I made my own choice. They didn't really oppose it in a serious way, but, but people didn't support me much. But I knew what I wanted to do. You just have to do what your heart tells you. So I just uh, went ahead and, and did, did make the change. And what were some of the things that you, that you had to adjust to when you came to, to America and to Wisconsin? I really felt very, very good. I felt that intellectually my curiosity finally was being met. I could read all I, uh, I wanted to read 
and learning became obsession. It was just an、uh, incredible experience. I, as I said, I grew up during the Cultural Revolution in China. We didn't even have books.、Uh, libraries were closed to us, so I never had exposure to the vast、uh, amount of knowledge that was available. So the first shock was the Uh, the amount of knowledge that was instantly available to us all—there、uh, was no barrier、uh, to access them. So that was、uh, that was truly、uh, overwhelming, and that was、uh, the the most important shock to me. You began by by studying American society. So, what were some of the questions that you looked at? I looked at、um, uh, several things. One is that I wrote a book on women in science. Um, that was、uh, published by Harvard University Press, two thousand three, and in that project, we tried to uh, use uh, objective criteria and methods to uh, assess uh, the status of women in science. It's a politically charged subject matter, but I believe social scientists should approach their subject. With、uh, objective mind, with、uh, a political point of view, and let let data speak for themselves. We should not go beyond what evidence can reveal to us. So that was well, relatively well received uh, book. Uh, it was uh, uh, discussed a lot during the discussion around the then Harvard President Larry Summers. Uh, uh, Debate、um, or, or, or trouble with、uh, his critics on women in science. That was one example. Another example, I studied、uh, Asian Americans, especially educational and occupational attainment of Asian Americans. We all know, for example, Asians on average have high levels of education and achievement, especially in mathematics and、uh, science. They have high achievements than than whites. What are the reasons for、uh, Asian Americans' achievement?、Um, that was one one of the things、uh, I was interested in. I don't, for example, I don't accept the view that、uh, it might be biologically、uh, determined. I think there's very very little evidence that Asians' advantage in science and and mathematics has. Much to do with biology. We don't have much knowledge about what are the、uh, true genetic、uh, causes of ability differences、uh, between groups, either by race or by gender. One exa- simple example is that those differences change over time. If、uh, genetics explains、uh, ability differences by group, by gender, by race, then those differences should not change much over time. But in the last few decades, group differences in we call it ability measured abilities, mathematical abilities do change. So that tells us social environment is important. I think here is one example. Culture, I think, is important. I think family support is important. What is considered important, and、uh, how how education and especially science education is valued among Asian. Americans, among uh, parents especially, uh, is uh, I think has a lot to do with Asian Americans' achievement. 
in most of my earlier career, I only studied America, mostly America, and now I just began to study China. And when I study China, I bring my perspectives of uh, America, studying America, into my studies of China. I think there are large differences. Um, so I'm one who believes that social structure, political structure, culture actually matter. So individuals are not the same if they're in, if they're situated in different environments, their behaviors are different. Uh, some examples are one, I think uh, uh, family, I already discussed, family is much more important uh, in Chinese culture than in American culture. Uh, even though a Chinese family has been um, affected by kind of westernization, modernization, you do see rise in divorce rate and, and, and other things. Um, but still, I think family plays a much larger role, especially for the relationship between parents and children. So ch parents spend a lot, enormous amount of, of time, energy, and financial resources for, uh, for the educational outcomes of their children. So that is a strong um, feature of uh, Chinese families. I, I do think there is some difference between Chinese families and American. Uh, they are different. Of course, there's also variability among American families. But uh, overall, Chinese families are more uniform in emphasizing uh, children's education. They're more homogeneous in some ways. Another, fa another difference between China and US is a political system. I think uh, the state plays a much stronger role in China than in America. So America is more kind of individualistic society. You have different actors that are more or less independent, workers, employers, governments, and so on. But in China, it's um, highly constrained. It's a hierarchical. You have the central government, you have regional government, you have local government, and also uh, work organizations are under also a lot of influence of, of government. So political involvement in everything from academic life to business to just uh, daily life uh, is much more, uh, more in China than in the US. What's the work or the contribution to your field that you're proudest of? I'm proud of uh, a number of things that, um, uh, first, I think I tr try to argue for a kind of social science that's different from uh, other social science traditions. I believe that we social scientists should study the empirical world, the world of reality, social institutions, families, education, birth and death and migration, things we actually care about, things we observe, things that matter. So we should focus our research attention on the real world instead of imagined world. When we study the real world, uh, I have a, a principle that's called a variability principle. I think all social entities ultimately are different from each other. So one person is no substitute 
for another person when family is not the same as another family. Even though they may share identical characteristics, they are inherently different. And for me, variability principle is important and is fundamental and is applicable to all social sciences. Some psychologists and economists agree with me that variability is the key to understanding social phenomena and uh, human behavior. But I, I think uh, they sometimes still hope that through understanding the typical uh, individual, typical uh, agent, they can understand everyone else. I think that's naive view, and that naive, naive view is called homogeneity assumption. I think social science and natural science are fundamentally different uh, regarding the homogeneity assumption. I think homogeneity assumption has served well in natural science. So we, um, in assuming that uh, we, once we understand the, uh, a typical phenomena, we can generalize to other phenomena that we don't study because we have established universal laws. That's a practice in natural science. But in social science, what we study as individual cases may not represent other cases we don't study. And that results from the violation of homogeneity assumption. That's a result of variability. And because of variability, we have to be careful uh, about generalizations from few cases, or we call sample in a sample, to cases we don't observe in the, in the universe. And that makes it much more complicated. So one of the ways I do practice uh, social science or sociology is to preach the importance of heterogeneity or variability. And those variability, as I said earlier, is also shaped and changed by social conditions. Not only one person is different from another person, but the same person in different social environment may behave differently, may change. So that's uh, that's called a social context principle. Um, so th this is a, those are the things I practice in my research and also teach to graduate students. Another thing I'm proud of is that I think we should train next generation of researchers and I have paid a lot of attention to teaching, to teaching their methods, to teaching them how to do research. I think I benefited from my own teachers and I should, now I should pass on what I know how to do research to the next generation of researchers. The third thing I think I'm proud of is that I'm doing a lot of work in China and uh, through uh, activities uh, of data collection, training, and practice of, of social science. And I'm hoping that I can introduce kind of a modern version of social science, empirically based social science to, to China. And China is changing rapidly. And uh, Chinese society is very interesting to study. If we don't start uh, now, it will be too late because China today will not be China tomorrow. So we should start, start studying China scientifically and so that we can observe and, and understand social changes that are happening in China. What are some of the changes that you're seeing there? 
we see a lot of changes. Uh, for example, uh, we all know that um, uh, um, there's an enormous economic development in China. So there's a lot of wealth, uh, a lot of income um, in China. But that also creates uh, large gaps in income and wealth. So inequality is probably the most prominent feature in Chinese society. Uh, however, uh, Chinese society is not breaking down because of high levels of inequality. There is also urbanization. So China is transforming itself from an agriculture-based society into manufacturing-based and perhaps service-based society. So you see um, a reduction in, in rural population and, and expansion of urban population. There are a lot of migrant workers in Chinese cities, for example. You also see changes in, in family behavior. Uh, they have few children and, and elderly uh, begin to live by themselves instead of with uh, their adult children. Um, divorces on the rise, age of marriage increases, cohabitation will also begin to, to, to appear in China. So then, uh, education uh, is also on the rise. So Chinese uh, are much more educated now than before and will continue to be more educated in the future. So there are many, many changes uh, in China. A lot of the features or changes that you see in families sound like a trend toward American families. Yes, very much so. Um, there is a um, similarity, but on that hand, I think there could also be differences. So some of changes are universal. Uh, increasing divorce, for example, is universal in, in almost every uh, country, especially developed country. Uh, lady marriage is also quite a universal. A small family size is also uh, quite universal. I think one area uh, you don't see a convergence between Asian societies or Confucian societies. So, so by those I mean China, Taiwan, Korea, and Japan, and, and those societies that have been heavily influenced by Confucian ideology and the Western societies, U.S. and, and Europe and Latin America, is the following. I think um, children who are born out of wedlock uh, are very few in, in Asian, East Asian societies, Confucian societies. So that relates to the earlier point. I think parental care for children's well-being uh, is very strong. Parents' sense of responsibility um, uh, uh, to care for children's well-being, the lineage, uh, idea of lineage, uh, parents uh, should uh, do everything they can for their children and don't give, uh, don't leave them out of uh, help uh, is, is so strong. So you don't see uh, many children uh, who are born out of wedlock, uh, who, are, who don't have two parents. Uh, those cases, some of the divorced families, you do see um, uh, single parent families, but, but overall uh, uh, the, the number of children who, who uh, live in families uh, out of wedlock, uh, very few. You don't see that convergence. How have you balanced your work with your family life? Good question. Uh, I'm really fortunate that I've been uh, helped by, uh, by my, uh, my family. Uh, my wife, Helen, uh, is an engineer. She also uh, finished her PhD uh, in engineering, material engineering from University of Wisconsin. She's an uh, uh, engineer 
manager working for uh, GM. Um, she's a, a great uh, a wife and a great mother to our two children, one son and daughter. Uh, they're quite supportive, especially when I travel to China a lot. Uh, they're quite supportive. Um, my parents uh, are also living in up in a condo not too far away from us, so they also provide a lot of help. So I admit that in some ways uh, Chinese family structure uh, has benefited uh, my career. So they they all being very supportive of my work. So I I'm uh, indebted to them for for their support. What advice would you give to a young person interested in a career in science? I think scientific work has to be something you want to do, do it with passion. You cannot be good at science unless you have a passion for it. Actually, I think it's also true for any kind of uh, work at the highest level. You cannot do it well without truly loving it. So loving science is a sure way of success as science. Since 1863, the nation's top scientists have been honored with membership in the National Academy of Sciences. Today, there are more than 2,500 in the NAS membership, of whom approximately 200 have won Nobel Prizes. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Interviews and invite you to join us again for another inspiring conversation.